Adam Lane Smith is a transformative force in the field of personal development and relationships. Leveraging years of professional experience as a licensed psychotherapist into a highly sought after attachment specialist and personal coach. A person with attachment issues has a gigantic bloated shadow of every part of themselves that's not acceptable or may not be acceptable. Fear is the anticipation of pain. Now, when you have lived your whole life in emotional pain, fear and anticipation of pain is natural because that's all you know. From regular families hoping to mend marital troubles to millionaire CEOs navigating the intricate world of dating, Adam's profound insight and advice have proven invaluable time and again. All my relationships sucked. I would spend time worrying about what I was going to say in a potential upcoming conflict, even if the conflict never came. Adam Lane Smith, absolutely honored to have you here on the Modern Warrior podcast. I came across your Instagram profile after I had a podcast episode with your with your good friend and counterpart, Sarah. Sarah Jim Moore, and we had uh, we had a great conversation on our podcast together. So I found you through her, and delighted that I did so because your content has been incredibly impactful for me. A lot of the things you've been speaking about has landed with me personally. When you speak about attachment and attachment issues and relationships and attachment theories and the different types of attachment that we struggle with, and it has been a massive struggle for me in my life for a very long time, something that I continue to work on up until this day. I had a very anxious attachment when it came to relationships. I avoided anyone or avoided getting too close to anyone in case I would get hurt or rejected. So I kept them away, pushed them away, and I would do these things in destructive ways. So your content has been brilliant and from a personal, from myself personally, I want to thank you for all you're doing there because I know it's not just a struggle for myself, but a struggle for many men that I personally work with too and men that I know. So yeah, thank you for all that. And with that topic in mind, attachments and attachment issues or struggles with attachments and relationships, and as an attachment specialist today, can you bring us back to a time where you personally struggled with attachments or attachment issues in relationships? Absolutely. That started my whole journey. I had attachment issues myself. Look, attachment for everybody who's listening is the way that we learn to connect to other people, to give and receive love, to get our needs met. And if that gets broken, then we learn that we have to play games to get our needs met, that we can't be open and honest with other people and just tell them what we want. We have to try to play games, right? And, and invent scenarios where we can get our needs met without ever asking for it and being open and vulnerable. So the goal is to never be vulnerable because you're going to get hurt if you are. I had attachment issues as a young man. I had nice guy issues, anxious attachment, as you, as you talked about. Nice guy issues where I cannot ask for what I need, but I will do nice things for you. And hopefully you will figure out what I need in return, but I'll pretend I don't want anything in return. It was also, I need you to like me. I needed people to like me back then. I was very concerned about that. I also needed to people to not judge me, to not reject me. So I had very little stand that I was willing to take, to plant my flag, to talk about my principles, my values, my goals would fall to the wayside anytime somebody else needed something. I was not focused on building an authentic life, being a masculine man, living myself fully. I was focused on being safe by making other people like me. This can become codependence. This can become just endless approval seeking. And I hated it. And I made myself buckle down and fix it. It was hard. It was terrible. I had to go through all the research and figure everything out to try to get it for myself. And when I did it, I wanted to make sure nobody else had to do it alone either. So 
I set out, I got into school, got my master's degree in psychology. I went through, did all of my work, fixed myself, healed myself. Then I became a licensed marriage and family therapist for many years, specializing in attachment. And then I retired from that practice so that I can now coach anybody in the world, anywhere who has attachment issues. That has been my journey. What did that look like for you? The beginning of that process of healing from your own attachment wounds? It begins the way that I, I guide my clients through. Number one, you must decide who you are. Because when you have attachment issues, you change who you are every day and every relationship to reflect what you think the other person wants from you. You try to appease them. You try to cover up any parts that they may not like. You try to just throw away any parts of yourself that are not going to be accepted. We talk about shadow and the shadow and pushing all the unacceptable parts of you into it. A person with attachment issues has a gigantic bloated shadow of every part of themselves that's not acceptable or may not be acceptable. You are trying to make everyone in the world like you. Therefore, nobody, not even yourself, can respect who you are. So step number one is to figure out what values, what principles, what beliefs you hold. If you're going to be a man of honesty, a man of integrity, a man of compassion, a man of courage, whoever you're going to be, people won't like, some people won't like you. Whatever your purpose is, whatever your driving quest is in life, whatever your guiding goal is in life. Some people won't agree with that. You need to take those stands and define yourself as that man. So you need to define the man you are going to be and then take steps toward becoming that man. That's one of the biggest pieces you have to do to fix attachment. So as you're pursuing this journey of becoming the man you want to be, you're almost trying to mm -hmm. cultivate this life for yourself or there's mm -hmm. this new identity. What are some of the things that are important to let go of? <laughs> Understanding that not everybody in the world is going to like you. In fact, some people will actively dislike you. Some people will manipulate you. Some people will insult you. Some people will be out simply for themselves, and they are only looking to get you to violate your goals and your principles on purpose so that you will do what is convenient for them. When you have attachment issues, you do that and they rely upon that and you will get used again and again and again and you will always wonder why the world is full of only bad people. But when you stop and take that stand, they will treat you poorly until they completely run the other direction because they don't actually care about people, they care about convenience and feelings. When you give them consistent boundaries, they leave. But secure people, healthy people, People who want to work with you and respect you for your principles, because your principles make you, they make you reliable. They make you predictable. They make you safe to be around and other people can calm down and relax in your presence. So you yourself as a man become a calming factor of peace and order everywhere you go. And when you recognize and experience people responding well to that, that also begins to heal attachment through experience. There's people listening to this, men listening to this right now who, and I've been there, and you've perhaps been there yourself, where they are ignorant to these attachments or these struggles they have. They're ignorant to the nice guy syndrome that they're upholding in their relationships and in their life. So how can we communicate this in such a way that it's going to resonate with those men who are completely oblivious to these type of patterns that are playing out in their lives. Mm. Look, if you don't like yourself, if you in fact maybe hate yourself, if you feel powerless in your life, if you feel like you are always at the whim of others, if you feel like you have to keep yourself safe from relationships, if you feel like love and connection and intimacy are impossible because you weren't born the right way or weren't born lucky in a good family, if you struggle in relationships and feel lonely, like an estimated 66% of young Generation Z men feel today is crushingly lonely every single day. If you have those feelings and you're experiencing those things, odds are very good you have an attachment issue that you cannot connect to other people because you never learned and cultivated the specific skills to allow you to connect securely 
with other human beings. You don't have to learn this in childhood. You can learn it in adulthood as well. Mm -hmm. I think that's the part where a lot of people get stuck in, isn't it? They think this is just the way I am. And is, is, did you feel that when you started this path? Did you feel like there was no hope? Most of most guys do. Yeah, for sure. And the hopelessness that I would have felt was compounded by the overwhelming feeling of the amount of work I would have to do in order to break free from this this pain that I felt. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. again, that's why it's important, I feel, to break this down into simple strategies that people can actually implement. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, in my experience, I have 15 years of training and experience in psychology and, and relationships. What I've discovered is that male depression in particular, male depression is linked directly to learned helplessness. It is the belief that you have no power over your life or your pain or your circumstances. If you feel helpless in your life, that is where male depression tends to start. And the more hopeless you feel that you will ever gain a sense of power increases the severity of that depression. So male depression and attachment issues often go hand in hand. Learning that you can fix these is a huge step toward fixing most cases of male depression. Because for exactly like you just said, you feel hopeless and you feel like even if you learn what you're supposed to do, it's going to take forever to fix it. It won't. It won't take forever. Did you identify that you had an issue with this on your own or did you need to receive that feedback from a person in a relationship, but a woman in a relationship or did this come from some sort of other external source where you had to finally identify with it and, and get to work? All my relationships sucked. <laughs> There's no fancy words for it. They were terrible. They they were bad on their end. They were bad on my end. I'm, I'm not saying everybody was a bad person. I'm saying the relationships themselves were turbulent. They were uncomfortable. Conflicts ended relationships. Conflicts were terrible. They were everything. I would spend time worrying about what I was going to say in a potential upcoming conflict, even if the conflict never came. You spend so much time worrying about problems that never actually turn into problems. Just in case they might turn into one, you will have an answer in case ready for that person to try to diminish the friction. You spend so much time worrying, and I did, and I hated it. And after enough failed romantic relationships and friendships, I decided I could not live that way anymore. I needed to do anything. So I said, what is holding me back? It was my misbeliefs about what other people wanted from me. It was my misbeliefs about the person I had to be to be safe and to have relationships. And I had to fix it. I didn't know the word attachment. I didn't know much about psychology at all when I did. I was about 21, 22 years old. I hadn't even really gone through school yet to get a psychology degree or anything like that. So I had to fix it by miserable trial and error guessing. And then when I got into school, I wanted to study it and specialize into it. There was multiple books out there that I've read, but they are few and far between. The research is harder to find. Most people don't know about attachment theory. Even most psychologists, even most therapists don't know. There's a great book. It's over my shoulder here. No More Mr. Nice Guy by Dr. Robert Glover. It's one of the best books available for attachment but he doesn't necessarily much talk about attachment. He, he's kind of a mentor of mine and I've been following him for years. I interviewed him on my, my channel not that long ago. And he said, Adam, I was amazed to hear you speaking in public, telling people that my book was about attachment because I hadn't realized that's what I was writing about. He called it nice guy syndrome, but it was attachment theory. And when you read that book, it, that was, that was eye opening for me, but I had already fixed my issues that guided me into the language. Then I wrote my own book right here above my head, slaying your fear to walk people through a process of fixing their attachment. So if you have these issues, here's something that you can do. I wrote that book, slaying your fear to hand to my therapy patients. When I'd say, Hey, you have these other diagnoses, but here's what's underneath those go fix these issues right here. And let's work on these. Yeah. The, the fear can be incredibly overwhelming because as much as you know that your relationships suck or as much as you know that there's something within you that just isn't feeling right or you're feeling lonely or you're feeling empty there's some sort of void there is a familiarity there isn't there you'd rather stick with a story that you know than to step into a story that you don't know
So when you are faced with that sort of barrier with one of your clients or potentially from a personal perspective, how can they begin to break through that that barrier of fear to, again, begin changing the story, the beliefs that have been their whole life, their whole identity from a very, very early age? Well, what is fear? Do you know the definition of fear? Do you know where it comes from? Do I know where it comes from? I know that it's usually a made-up assumption in your head that's not, that's not real. You're right. It's the anticipation of pain is what fear comes yes. from. It's it's anticipating That's what I meant. pain. Yeah. <laughs> I hear no, I hear you. I hear you. And and most people they fumble around. And the reason I'm going so specific on this is we need to understand what fear is before we can conquer it. Fear is the anticipation of pain. Now, when you have lived your whole life in emotional pain and when other people have been unfair with you in conflicts, when other people have not worked with you, when they have not cared for you, when they have not been trustworthy, when they have not been faithful, when they have not been someone you could rely upon, fear and anticipation of pain is natural because that's all you know. So you anticipate the worst possible pain. To conquer that pain, you need to reach a certain threshold of real pain that you are currently living in, which is why most people get depressed before they fix their attachment, because they need to say, my life is unbearable as it is, and I would rather face the fear of pain than live in continued pain that I already am feeling. Just like you said, better the feeling that you have than the one you don't know. Um Better, another way to say it is better the devil you know than the one you don't. I'd say no devils at all is where we want to get to secure attachment where people are loving and honest and reliable. But to get there, you must be loving and honest and reliable, which means conquering your fear. When you are in enough pain already that there's nothing much that you can experience that's going to be worse than this, that's where you're really ready to start fixing your attachment. Yeah. Men perhaps people in general only make a change when they've reached the bottom of the pit yeah. and they're left with the option to either, again, as you said, stay in the pain that they, that they know or move towards the pain of making a change and that the pain of making a change is, is, is greater and a lot more appealing. You help men. And I know that you do. Do men come to you when they're in the middle of it and they're like, yeah, you know, I'd kind of like to make a change. It'd be cool. That'd be fun. Or do they come to you and they say, look, buddy, I, I will do just about anything to overcome this awful feeling where, what do I do next? Just tell me when do men come in for you? Yeah. 99% of them when they're at their wits end. Yeah. We only start looking for solutions when we really need one and when we believe there is one. Those are the two factors. We need one and believe there is one. Is there anything we can do to avoid that absolute point of no return? And the, the reason I'm asking is that I think there's a lot of men out there and I've, I've been there myself. I've been at the bottom of the pit several times and I've made changes to, to move forward and improve and heal and all the rest of it. But I've also been in situations where my life wasn't completely satisfied. I wasn't very happy. There was some turbulence. And looking back and reflecting on that, I think I adapted to to that way of living. I think we're very adaptable creatures. We Obviously, we've learned to adapt, to survive and get to this point of, of our lives and and survive everything that's come at us over, over the generations. And I think that can work for us, but it, it can also work against us where we adapt to these toxic situations that we find ourselves in. So, And that could potentially continue on for the rest of your life. And you may never reach the bottom of the pit. You could just be hovering above it and that becomes your life. So is there anything we can do to catch those men and say, hang on a second, you can do better. This can become better. Absolutely. I love, and you're so right. You are so right. I love how you put this is there are a lot of men who are adaptable and that's what bad attachment is. That's what insecure attachment is, is nobody will ever love me. So here's how I'm going to act. That's exactly what bad attachment is. And it's a defense mechanism from a wrong belief. It's, it's from a, a lie that you got when you were a child and it's from pain that you experienced as a child and you've set out to never have that pain again. So is there a way to catch men before rock bottom? I believe there is. Here's where it, here's where it lies is telling them how incredibly 
good it feels to not live that way anymore. Even teaching them that there's a possibility of not living that way. That's why I throw out so many videos. You know, I have 475 videos on YouTube now. I've got so many of them there and guys pop in and say, this is the first I'm ever hearing of this. And they're on video, you know, 460. And this is the first one they've come in on is when you hear about it, you suddenly have an alternate. And, and what people will do, nice guys will come in and say, it might not be me. I might not be unlovable scum. That would be incredible. And they just crave to learn more. So just putting it in front of them, they're already in horrible pain. It's going to hurt like maybe 20% of the pain you feel already. 20% of that pain is what it takes to fix the attachment. It's not painful to fix attachment. It's just scary. It's a lot of fear. And avoidant guys who run away from relationships and think other people are the problem, they're harder because they don't trust other humans. So they think everybody is out to scam them. They think I'm out to scam them. So they circle around and they, they watch me like a hawk for six to 12 months, listening to what I have to say. And they listen to every single podcast. There's probably a few of them listening to this podcast that have been listening for a year, wondering if I'm going to slip up and reveal that I'm a cult leader or something, but they, they wait and listen to see if it's possible that it's real. And when they find that it's possible, then they dip their toe in and they want to start learning. It's fear. It, like you said, and you said it perfectly. It's fear that's keeping them out. And we they don't need to hit rock bottom pain-wise. They need to hit rock bottom fear-wise. And then they need to see that there's a way out of their fear. If we can get them there, yeah, guys don't have to plunge into the depths. Mm -hmm. And in terms of moving forward from the situations they find themselves in, what's your approach like there in, term, in terms of healing? Is it a matter of going back and revisiting painful childhood experiences and trying to heal it from there? Or <laughs> I see, I see. Uh, uh, let me, let me ask there. this, Kevin. Okay. Have, have you, how much have you got out of your life? Two different options here. How much have you got out of your life by sitting there meditating on the awful experiences in your life over and over and over versus how much have you got out of your life by having new experiences that shift your mindset around what is possible? Which one has done the best for you? Oh yeah. The latter for sure. Yeah. The problem is that you were a kid and you got all these experiences that, that were awful and then you move forward believing those are the only experiences you could ever have. Then you recreated those experiences by recreating the same setup over and over. And now you're sitting here saying those are the only experiences that are possible. When you have different experiences, it shocks your system. Then you suddenly see that different is possible. So you'll start feeling different. Then you'll do different experiences is what matters. So yeah, I do a little bit when people come in, I ask them questions about, Hey, you know, what was your parents' marriage like that you grew up in? What was that like? How's your view on marriage now? You know, how did you get your needs met as a kid? Who was around? Who was not around? Who yelled at you? Who just didn't connect with you? What was it like? How much did you get feel loved? How much did you not really feel loved? How did you, how much did you just feel scared or alone? Let's talk about that. And then let's move forward with that's where you're coming from. Okay. That's awful. Let's never go there again. Who do you have in your life that you can talk to now that you can have opposite experiences of and with that you've just haven't had the guts to take those steps yet. Let me give you the skills. Let me give you the phrases. Let me teach you the conversations to have. Let's get you out and feeling and experiencing with people. So you see that different is possible and that you've always believed a lie. When they see the lie, they bust through the illusion dies and then they bust through and then nature takes its course and you start building better relationships because you know that better is possible. And when that's being communicated to the woman in your relationship, is it wise to communicate to this woman that this is a very uncomfortable process for you because you've, you've been quite reluctant to openly express your emotions or your feelings in previous relationships because of the rejections you might have felt or the shame you might have felt with that? Or do you approach that in a, in a different way? Let me ask you this, Gavin, first, but before I answer that, let me ask you this. You're, you're on the internet. You're a content creator like I am. You've, you've, seen, you've seen all kinds of circles. You've been in the men's space for a long time. I know that you know your stuff. You've, you've got the bona fides, as they say. You've got the, the certifications. Um, 
have you seen these people, these guys online saying never, ever, ever be open or honest with a woman because she will leave you immediately. She'll be disgusted by you. Never tell her how you feel. Have you seen this floating around all over the internet? Yeah. Yeah, I have. What, what do you think of that? I think that the woman should hold a space for a man to express his emotions and that he feels that level of safety and trust in her that she's not going to turn away because of some difficult feelings that he's willing to express. Mm -hmm. However, in saying that, I think that the part that people get caught up on, and, and again, I would be interested to hear your opinion on it, is that it's not communicated in such a way that the woman then feels the weight of the responsibility to fix that issue for the man. You said it great, man. No, I love that so much. I love that so much. Uh, Gavin, I've been married for 15 years and my marriage has only endured because I am utterly perfect and have never showed even, even the slightest imperfection to my wife or weakness ever in any moment. Never, not ever. Is that believable? Do you believe that? No, no, no. My marriage has endured because I do show my wife what I'm experiencing but I do it exactly like you said, in a solution-focused way, where I say, here's what I'm experiencing. Here's how it's it's not good. What I'm feeling is not good. But here's what I'm going to do about it. Here's how I'm going to handle it. I can go to her and get, if I need comfort, I can go to her and just get perspective. I can go to her and get insight. But you're right. I don't make her my mother. I work within that and say, here's where I'm at. Here's what I'm going to do. Do you have any feedback or insight for me? And can I get a hug while I'm here? Sometimes a man needs that, right? It's part of the reason you have a wife. You don't have another dude, right? I mean, <laughs> Gavin, you and I can stay together for 15 years, but that's going to be different than me and my wife. Uh, you're, you're just not feminine enough for me. And I'm sorry for that. But <laughs> that, that's part of the benefit of having a feminine partner is that you can draw from that well of feminine energy and that nurturing as long as you are in your masculine so that she can stay there. If you shift her into the masculine protective role, yeah, it ain't going to be, it ain't going to fly and she won't like that. Especially if you do that for a long period of time. I, I, I hate, hate this crap on the internet that if you are ever vulnerable with your wife at 20 years of marriage and five babies in that she will leave your house in disgust and cheat on you with your best friend on your front lawn as you look through the window crying one tear saying if only i had never told her how i feel it's just that's crap but yeah don't fall apart into a sobbing mess either that's where a lot of that comes from is guys they only know one or the other silence or sobbing mess. And no, be a man. Be a man. Mm -hmm. Because again, for that man to step into his masculine, he needs to somewhat heal the inner child that's been influencing his communication and his behaviors all his life, where yeah. he did express his emotions or he did get angry in some way towards his mother and he... Mm -hmm felt the shame of that or he was punished yes. in, in some way and then he began to suppress it yes. and of course it's Doc, quite dr robert glover dr robert glover talks about it and calls it uh secret contracts secret contracts where the nice guy learned from his mommy how to earn good boy points and then get an action figure earn good boy points and you'll get a comic book Earn good boy points and you get ice cream. And that's how he relates to the woman in his life. Earn good boy points and you'll get sex. Earn good boy points and you'll get a pat on the head. And he's trying endlessly. He does what we call here in America, we call chore play. I'm going to do chores and she'll be so turned on that I'm doing the dishes that she'll rip off her clothes. And it'll be the wildest frenzy in the world. I won't even have to ask for sex because only bad boys ask for it. Because she doesn't really want to do it. But that's okay. She'll do it anyway because I, I did the dishes. And they do all these nice things and they're nice on the front end and awful in the back end. And in the meantime, they are falling apart with crushing insecurities and they're falling all over the place and they, they are failing to uphold stability or security in the relationship. So she has to step forward into the role of single mom over her husband. And that's what leads to resentment. That's what leads to the breakdown of respect. That's what leads to women not being able to respect you because you're not being masculine. That's it. And then they get on the internet and say, I was only vulnerable to my wife one time and she stopped respecting me. Well, no, you weren't a man. You related to her as a child. And so she treated you like one. What do you think on that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I agree. <clears throat> and 
on the on the flip side of that too, when the wife has feelings that she wants to express, mm-hmm. and she will express them, mm-hmm. <laughs> usually mm-hmm. with a usually. wave of fury or anger potentially, often, and that's where a lot of these nice guys as well feel offended, feel attacked, yes. run away. Yes. And what I've identified in that is, and I've and I've been there. I ran away from conflict and mm-hmm. would have, um, again, the, the anger that I felt towards the woman would have amplified in those situations and mm-hmm. would have, um, you know, given me confirmation for the biases that I had already created in the relationship. So it was very, very destructive. But what I've realized is that that was a, the very test of my masculinity. That that was mm-hmm. an opportunity for me to actually stand up and be the man for her. And that when she's expressing herself in some way, she's afraid, she's scared, and she simply needs to feel safe and protected to do that. Mm -hmm. And I've identified that as the breakdown of relationships I've been in, where I ran away and, of course, compounded with everything else that I had struggled with, the attachments and everything else. Is that something you agree with as well in terms of going towards the woman? I love, I love the way that you put this. I love the way that you put this. You know, here's one thing. Can I share? Can I share with you where anger comes from as well? Oh yeah. Go for it. Anger is never a primary emotion. It's never the first thing somebody feels. Never, 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 never. Anger is not the first thing something feels. The first thing somebody feels is a different feeling. It's either sadness or hurt or fear. They are hurt or they are sad or they are afraid. And when they grow up with attachment issues, they grew up with caregivers who did not take their feelings seriously, did not care for their feelings, did not comfort them when they felt sad or scared or hurt. Their caregivers ignored or made it worse. So as adults, they default back to anger to make you take their feelings seriously. Anger is protective. Now, there are two kinds of angry women women who get angry, I should say. There are women who get reasonably angry because you are not taking their needs seriously and they have given you many, many warnings and chances and they are now hurt and angry and resentful and you have promised over and over that you're going to take them seriously, but you don't. Then there are women who are unreasonably angry, who lash out at you as if you are not taking them seriously, but you haven't even had a chance to. They default to anger first. The second group of women is one that is unreasonable. They have attachment issues themselves, and you'll need to get them to fix those before you can really relate fully and, and build a good relationship. But the first group are women who are dealing with men who have severe attachment issues, and the man keeps failing and failing and not upholding his responsibilities and telling her that he will, but he burns her out and her resentment boils up because she is fulfilling a role she should not have to fulfill. That's the anger that you're dealing with. So what you said, Gavin, what you said was perfect. Underneath that anger, when you lean into it is fear and hurt and sadness. And when you can step into it and say, you are angry. Tell me why you are angry. These are your feelings. You are right. I did inspire those bad feelings in you, and I did not take you seriously. And for that, I am actually sorry. Here is what I am going to do to make this right. Can we follow this path? Is this something that you're willing to walk with me on? That's where you build trust or rebuild trust in a relationship is by doing that. Yeah, brilliant. I actually never realized the two different types of anger in women. So... Mm -hmm. Thanks for that. I'll uh, be taking notes. <laughs> so <laughs> Glad we're recording this, huh? <laughs> yes, for sure. That's brilliant, man. Brilliant insight. And sort of moving away from the romantic relationship aspect mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and moving on to being a father now mm-hmm. and being the father of four children, almost five. Mm-hmm. Wow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And how do you help them in terms of these potential attachment issues that they they could cultivate in their own lives or how can you help us fathers me included with potential attachment issues that our children may be portraying in some way in their early childhood so that this doesn't follow on and create destructive patterns in their adult relationships i love this question because we are caught in a vortex 
between a of a swing, swinging pendulum. In the 50s, 60s, we we had more authoritarian parenting of I don't have time to provide for your needs. I need you to take care of yourself, so I'm just going to be harsh and more controlling. Um, then we had it in the 90s. In the 90s, we had sort of apathetic authoritarian parents of just do what I say, do what I say, not what I do. I'm the parent. You have to say, you have to listen to me. Just do it. Stop complaining. Stop asking questions. And we, we did that. And parents vented their anger at their kids. So physical discipline wasn't about discipline. It was about making the parent feel better, right? So you would get all kinds of physical discipline, many kids, just because it made the parent feel better to vent their anger on you kind of thing. Now the pendulum has swung in this, in the opposite direction of permissive parenting of, I have to make up for what my eye experienced by giving my kids everything. And I have to be perfect. I have to get everything right. Or I will screw my child up for life. Parents beating themselves up for not being good enough. Parents, some, some men being petrified to ever become a father because they think I will never do it. I'll never be. It's too tricky. It's too complicated. I'll ruin his life. Being a good parent is not about being perfect. It is about building what's called a self-correcting family system. A self-correcting family system is one in which you, you cultivate, yeah, secure attachment, but that's actually a byproduct of the system you build. The system you build is we are human beings together. I am going to treat you like a human being who doesn't understand anything. And I'm going to apprentice you to me so you can over time become a strong healthy human being in wonderful relationships, who is not afraid, who gets their needs met, who knows how to cooperate with people, who knows how to ask questions and understand, who has discipline. Yes, because I have disciplined you, but I have not vented upon you. I have disciplined you carefully in ways that make you grow. Discipline and punishment are two different things. I don't punish, I discipline. So my son, my, my oldest son, he's seven years old. And when he does something wrong. I don't wail on him and scream at him and say, you are a disappointment to me. I don't say, go to your room. I'm sick of your face. I can't see you anymore. Go away. I say, I get down. I say, okay, buddy. I say, if I look frustrated, it's because I am, but I'm not, I don't, I don't hate you and I love you, but I'm frustrated by this behavior. Here's why this behavior is frustrating. Let's talk about this. And we talk through what the relationship should look like and how his, his behavior is not respectful and how I say, okay, here's what we're going to do instead. This is what we're going to, and I walk him through what that looks like, right? You're developing what's called the prefrontal cortex in your child's brain. It develops in there till they're 25. So when they're that little, they don't understand the prefrontal cortex is about judgment. It's about consequences. It's about if I do this, this will happen. You must cultivate that as a parent by explicitly explaining pieces of relationships to them. When you do this, this is what it makes me feel. When you do that, this is the outcome. These are consequences. This is what will take place. But you don't harshly beat them down as if they should have understood by now. You cultivate it in them so their brain, that part of their brain actually forms and builds that memory. That is building a self-correcting system because then you can turn it around and say, if I do things wrong, I need you to tell me. If you have bad feelings, talk to me about them. If you feel sad or hurt or confused, talk to me. I will not get angry. I will not always say you're right because I'm the parent, but I am not the authoritarian over you where I am always right. Sometimes I also need to learn and you and I will have a relationship for the rest of our lives. So let's build one where we can trust each other. And when you work with them like that, they blossom into secure attached kids and they're louder because they're, they're not afraid. And they ask a lot more questions because they're not afraid and they are more energy and more outgoing. And it's harder to deal with. It's playing life on hard mode, almost parenting. But it's also building thriving kids who are going to turn into parents someday themselves who have all the skills they need. And when they go out into the world, they're going to have incredible relationships because the people who would treat them like crap, they're going to say, I'm not going to deal with you. Get out of here. Like You're not doing anything right. Get out, get out of my face. I'm not going to knuckle under and deal with that abuse or that crap. Go away. I'm going to go find somebody who is going to help me. And they're going to work with good people because they also don't expect everybody to just rescue them over and over and over. They know that they also have to do the work on their side. That's a self-correcting family system. And that's what you do to build great parenting. Brilliant. Yeah. Taking more notes here, but I think um, only 
good parents who find parenting difficult to do. So possible. I was uh, smiling there when you were uh, going through the examples of parents where they're trying to be the perfect parent, trying to make up for what happened to them in their life and try to put this corrective practice in, in place and be everything that their that their mom or their dad wasn't. And I've been that person and the uh, the struggle that I've had over, over the years is that I had Ariana, who's nearly 13 now. I had her when I was only 26, where I did not, I had not started my my own healing process. I was still that 26-year-old man, but a, a scared little boy, ultimately, the nice guy, and all these issues were, were still massively influencing my life. And I can see how moments of fear were projected as anger upon her and and uh, in a way probably not probably but most likely had a had an impact on her had, a, had an effect on her and now she's 12 13 and um over the years as, as i've been healing myself i've try, been trying to heal that relationship mm-hmm. as well i've been trying to heal mm-hmm. any sort of pain that i created in the past and mm-hmm. it's something i've i've struggled to come to peace with that part would you like me to give you a tip on that a tip that I usually give to fathers who come into me. Would that be helpful? Of course. Of course. The number one thing that makes relationships heal is usually context. Because the reason that attachment issues form in the first place, especially anxious attachment, I am unworthy. Dad did this because I didn't deserve to be loved. Dad did that because he doesn't like me. Dad did this because blah, 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 blah. Attachment issues, we fill in missing context with the worst possible explanations. So the best thing a parent can do, if you've got a kid in their late late childhood, early teens, late teens, early 40s, even wherever, I work with people who have who are 78, 79 years old and they've got, you know, their kids are in their 50s and 60s. If you've got kids and they are wounded, go to them and sit them down and say, look, I'm afraid I didn't do right by you. And I'm afraid that I have wounded you. And I want to build a better relationship between the two of us. I want us to love each other. And I want to give you whatever healing I can. So tell me the places where I have accidentally hurt or confused you. And I won't make excuses, but I will explain to you what was happening so that you at least will have context and understanding. And if that changes how you view yourself or relationships, then maybe that can help you. So if you think of a place you screwed up, go to them and say, do you remember this time? Yeah, I do. Okay, well, I want to tell you what was going through my head at the time so you don't think that was your fault. Here is what I was actually doing. A a two-year-old doesn't say, hmm, dad's not spending much time with me on the weekends and dad is grumpy when I'm around and dad brushes me away because dad has a really low economic status and dad experiences substance substance abuse issues with alcohol and dad has depression because his father struggled with depression. No, the kid doesn't say that. The kid says, daddy doesn't want to be around me. It must be my fault. So when you when they grow up and you say, look, and you list all that context for them, they can go, Hmm, that does change the game. And you can ask them, do you ever feel like you aren't worthy? Or do you ever feel like I don't care about you? If so, tell me so I can fix that. But to do this, you have to not be defensive. My, my seven-year-old, he comes to me, he knows. He can come to me and say, dad, you hurt my feelings. And I could say, okay. And I sit down with him. I sit down and say, let's sit down and talk this through. Now, people might hear that and say, oh boy, sit down and talk it through. It means, okay, well, let us let me tell you how you're wrong. No, 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 no. That's 90s parenting. I sit down and I say, okay, talk to me about what you're feeling. Talk to me about what you're experiencing. Well, dad, you did this and this, and you said this and this. Usually it's dad, and you said this thing, and I thought that meant this, and so I wanted this, but then you didn't do it. And I say, okay, well, I could see how you would think that. That's understandable. Um, that's Here's what I actually meant or, or whatever's going on. But I, I don't want to just shut your feelings down because you're having those feelings. What would it take to help you feel better? 
and he'll tell me, you know, and it's, and I don't just tell him, okay, you're having ice cream for dinner every night for a month or whatever. It's okay. Well, you know what you misunderstood here in this, but I don't want you to go away miserable. So how, how about we do this? We work toward this thing you thought that you were going to get or, or, okay, you're right. I was wrong. I was grumpy. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have done that to you. I'm, I'm very sorry that I was grumpy that day. How can I make this up to you so that you know that I love you? Right. Whatever it may be, non-defensiveness and cooperation by treating their feelings as if they matter. Kind of circles back to that anger, right? Take their feelings seriously. Don't just tell them they're wrong and then resolve the issue with them by not, not just paying them off, but by working with them to resolve the real feeling and preserve the relationship. Gavin, if you're, if everybody in your life had done that for you, do you think you ever would have had nice guy issues in the first place? <laughs> no. No. So do that for other people. Mm-hmm. Do that for your daughter. Do that for, for everybody in your life. Whoever's around you, be that clear with them. Going back to the very beginning of this, that's why being a masculine man and being able to take on those wounds that other people feel without being defensive, that's why you are a calming influence on other people because they come to you with an amped up nervous system thinking you're going to scream at them for feeling hurt. And you say, man, you're right. I'm really sorry. I shouldn't have treated you that way. Here's the context so you know. And uh, how can I help you feel better? What, what what can I do to repair this relationship breach that we're having right now? You are a miracle in their life for them to have you in your life. That's why people look for masculine men. And that's the kind of masculinity that heals this world. That's what we need from men today. Mm-hmm. For sure. It's certainly something I've um, been focused on more with my daughter and with my son. <clears throat> Mason is six as well, and he's very different to what Ariana is and that's understandable too and he will challenge me on a regular basis you know you know how it is um extremely expressive and Mm -hmm. if he's feeling Mm -hmm. some way he will let you know about it but Mm -hmm. again Mm -hmm. it's like I mentioned to you earlier when the woman's expressing her emotions or her anger or rage it's coming from a place of Mm -hmm. fear or sadness or being hurt so I meet him on that level and that's that's been a, it's a very different approach to Mason because Mason came along a little bit later where I had gone through a lot more of my own healing. However, in saying that, as I've healed myself, I've also been able to help Ariana heal whatever difficulties she may be feeling. We've had an incredibly strong bond from the beginning because when she was born, I had lost my job and I was a stay-at-home dad for a long time and we did cultivate a brilliant connection, but I can just identify that there's some things there where she can dismiss her feelings sometimes. But what I've been trying to do is helping her communicate those feelings. I think that's something important you've you've touched on there. It's it's all about identifying the feeling and don't be ashamed to feel it. Because I think right. men in today's world are just that's at the very bedrock of the struggles they're having is an incredible shame around simply feeling yes and it's 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 creating an an incredible incredibly um it's an incredible struggle for for men today so Mm -hmm. to express those feelings in a a safe way where they didn't never had the opportunity to do so in an earlier life so um and in terms of We've, we're sort of going full circle here, but I mentioned earlier there about cultivating this life for yourself where you're eliminating the nice, the nice guy, you're healing your attachment wounds. And I asked you about things that you need to let go of in order to create this life for yourself or create this new identity. As part of that letting go process, the forgiveness or is forgiveness part of the letting go process? Forgiveness for your own parents, forgiveness for what happened in your own childhood. Where does that come in? It is. It is. Um, and forgiveness is not having positive feelings. You may never have positive feelings for your family members ever. Here's what forgiveness is. It's um, the principle of Hanlon's razor. Hanlon's razor says, do not ascribe to malice that which is adequately explained by stupidity. The pathway to forgiveness is understanding that most people on this planet are stupid. I'm stupid. 
Other people are stupid. Everybody's stupid. And we're stupid at times. We're stu stupid at certain days. We're stupid when we're hungry. We're stupid when we're scared. We're stupid when we're stressed. We just get scared and stupid. People are stupid at different times. Understanding that the vast majority of mistakes and hurts that you have taken from other people has been from stupidity instead of malicious intent. When you do that, you can forgive them for being stupid and for not knowing what they're doing. And then you can say, that had nothing to do with me. And you depersonalize what happened. And that can also begin healing the attachment wounds from your childhood of that had nothing to do with me. It was just that people were stupid. And when they're stupid, you can forgive them. Yeah. <clears throat> it's flipping the anger to empathy, perhaps, is it? Yeah. Or sympathy even? It is. It is. Mm. It's even just understanding it wasn't personal. So you can just let it go because there's just no point in carrying it around. Brilliant. There's something I want to mention before we wrap up this conversation that I'm very excited for. It's the new podcast that you've launched. Can you tell us uh, about it, please? And yes. where we can listen to it. And uh, I'm, I'm absolutely psyched because there's uh, two legends hosting this, this podcast. And uh, yeah, tell us more about it. Absolutely. So as you mentioned, the eminent Sarah Dawn Moore is my co-host on this podcast called I Wish You Knew. The I Wish You Knew podcast is us bringing on experts and leaders from around the world in various fields and discussing with them what their field means for relationships, especially. We bring on people that need, people need to hear from and say, what do you wish the world knew about your field? We have AI experts come on. We have future we have fitness gurus, we have everybody coming in and they teach you what their field means for your relationships and exactly what you need to know in an hour or less. So come listen to us, the I Wish You Knew podcast. We are everywhere on every feed and we've got our podcast website. We've got everywhere. I love it over on YouTube, especially if you type I Wish You Knew podcast into YouTube, you got long clips, short clips, everything is over there. So come check us out. Brilliant, man. Can you give us any insight as to some guests you've got coming up? Oh boy. Oh, I'm so, I'm so excited about some of the guests. So we have had Zuby, who is a great, great, uh, well, he started as a rapper. He's also moving into the political space. He's fascinating. We have had Sal Stefano from the Mind Pump podcast on there. We've had Tanner Guzzi, who is a male fashion coach who teaches men how to dress for success. I love him. Yeah. I love him. Yeah. Uh, we also have Mo Gadot, who is an expert in systems and AI and human happiness. And those are yeah, just a he, few was, of the he was the guests. he was he was the expert of happiness, wasn't he? At, at one point, yes, but he he's is. sort of transitioned yes, into. Scaring the shit out of all of us about AI now, isn't he? <laughs> <laughs> he he was fascinating, and some of his insights about relationships I cannot wait for people to hear because they will change the game as we know it. Brilliant, yeah. I'm like, no more. Go back to the happiness, will you please? <laughs> <laughs> happiness and fear, now. one or the yeah, other. Yeah, one or the yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. Two two extremes. Yeah. So that's brilliant, man. I'm I'm very excited for it. So because uh, it's only just launched, isn't it? So it's it's it um, has. Yeah, brilliant. And yes. where else can everyone that's listening to this podcast find you personally and, and reach out to you potentially, work with you, sign up to your courses, buy your book? Yeah, let us let us all know, please. Thank you. Thank you. I am Adam Lane Smith. I must go by Matt, my, my middle name because you don't want to be Adam Smith and publish a bunch of books because there's 3,000 Adam Smith economist books on Amazon. Adam Lane Smith. I'm on adamlanesmith.com, my website with my coaching, my book, my, my boot camp video course to fix attachment. The attachment boot camp is right there for that. I have a private community. I have everything. Also check me out on YouTube. Like I said, I've got about 475 videos and, and counting now Adam Lane Smith over there. I'm also on Instagram at attachment Adam, where you can find all kinds of great static images, reels, stories every single day, all kinds of content to help you fix attachment. Get on it. And as I said to you, Adam, You've been a massive help to me as well. Um, some of the insights you've had and the information has helped me out massively as well. So thank you for that. Thank you. I'm honored to play a role in your journey. Until next time. <laughs> <laughs>